Good morning and happy Easter to all of you. He is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. And it's because of that resurrection that we can come together this morning and celebrate not just another Sunday morning, but we can celebrate life. We can celebrate the love. We can celebrate these kids up here who are singing not just words, but they're singing truth to each and every one of us. They're reminding us of what God did for us on Friday. We celebrate the resurrection on Sunday, but yet we know on Friday, Good Friday, was actually a great day as well. A day we celebrate death. It's kind of weird, isn't it? And here our whole lives, we, we fear death. We try to stave off death. We try to keep it away from us. We try to get the best medical care possible, extend our life, extend our life, extend our life. And yet we celebrate death in Jesus. But it's not just his death we celebrate, because if he had just died on that Friday afternoon, really there would have been no purpose for Sunday. If he had just died, he would have just been another martyr who lived his life, came and did some good things, taught some moral teachings. But it's because of what happened on that Sunday morning when the ladies went to the tomb and found it empty. Just his burial cloth was there laying on the bed where he had been laid. And they went back and told the disciples and Peter and John came running to the tomb as well to see what's going on. And they found the stone also rolled away and Jesus was not there. Went back and told the disciples, it's true, he's gone, he's not there. What are we going to do? But we know when he appeared to them and said, I'm alive. Come, feel the holes in my hands and put your hand to my side and feel the hole where the spear pierced me and look in my feet and see the holes where the nails were. It's me. I'm the same one who was crucified just a couple days earlier. It's me. I'm alive and well. I know I had no pulse when you pulled me down off that cross, but now it's beating. It's going full steam ahead. I'm alive. I didn't just pass out on the cross. I didn't just swoon. I didn't just oh, give up the ghost, so to speak. And like, oh, I was, I was really gone. I was dead, but now I'm alive. You see, and what happened when the disciples realized that this was the same Jesus that had just died a couple days earlier, their whole lives are transformed. See, because the resurrection changed everything. The resurrection changed everything. It wasn't just another event. It wasn't like going to church. It wasn't like going to a worship service. It wasn't like going to the temple, giving your offerings. It wasn't just another thing we did, getting your degree. The resurrection changed everything from that point forward. It's because of the cross, because of the resurrection that we know that the meaning of the cross, because of Easter, we understand the meaning of Good Friday. At the cross, Jesus died in our place for our sins. At the cross, his blood was shed for us so that our sins could be forgiven. Our sins could be covered and no longer held accountable for those things. 
Jesus entered into our pain, into our shame, and he came and took the weight of evil itself upon his very shoulders so that we wouldn't have to. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see the love of God. When we look at Jesus, we say, this is love. Because of his love for us, we don't have to experience that same thing. So I want to talk to you today about the first part of that. About how God and his love freeing us from our sins. See, this is his love for us that was shared all through the Old Testament. The picture of what Christ was going to come and do to forgive us, to redeem us from our sins so that we wouldn't have to pay that penalty. See, God loved you so much. God loved me so much that he died for us so we wouldn't have to go through that. His body was broken for us so we wouldn't have to be broken. His blood was shed for us so we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sins to be forgiven. It's kind of summed up in a story I heard. Father laying up in bed. Here's a noise downstairs in the kitchen. Maybe some of you can relate. And here's a crash. Uh, what's going on down there? Where are my kids? First thought, right? Where are my kids and what are they doing in the kitchen? Anybody else been there? I have. It's like, what just happened? You know, they say the, scary, the, the scariest moment in a parent's life is when you're sitting in your house, all of a sudden, it's dead quiet. And the first thought is, where are my kids? What are they doing? What are they getting into, right? So his dad, he's laying in bed, and he hears this crash. He goes downstairs, and there's the kids and a pile of oatmeal on the floor and a bowl, his wife's favorite bowl, in pieces. And they've got a mop, and now they've been trying to clean up the oatmeal, which anybody's ever tried to clean up oatmeal with a mop, you know how pointless and useless that is. Right? Anybody, anybody made that mistake? I have. <laughs> oh, I don't want my wife to see it. It just spreads and spreads and spreads. There's no hiding what you've just done, right? <sighs> yeah. Picture the kids. They're down there trying to clean up, and down walks dad. It's like deer in the headlights, right? If I don't move, he won't see me not <laughs> kids what are you doing what's happened what what oh dad we were hung you weren't awake yet we weren't hungry we were hungry and so we wanted to make ourselves some oatmeal and well we put it in this bowl of mom's and dropped it and we know it was her favorite bowl what's she going to say when she comes downstairs how's she going to feel when she comes downstairs how do the kids feel in knowing they've broken their mom's favorite bowl? There's a sense of shame, isn't there? Now, is, is a bowl, what's a bowl in comparison to a child's, to one of your children, right? As a parent, we know, I'd, I'd gladly give up a bowl for my kids. Even that bowl. Maybe not something else, but that bowl, totally. I would gladly give whatever I could for my kids. But yet, for my kids, looking at that going, oh, man. And you're like, kids, why didn't you come and get me? Why, why, I could have come and helped you, even when you broke it. Come and get us. We can help you clean it up and show you the right way to clean it up, right? Not make more of a mess. 
But the kids tried to do it themselves. They tried to fix their mess themselves. And it just made more of a mess. Isn't that the way it is with us and God? We want to try to do it ourselves. We break it. We try to clean it up. And in the process of trying to clean up our mess, we make even more of a mess. Unfortunately, God says, you can't clean it up. You made the mess. And God says, I'm going to clean it up. And that's what he did on the cross for us. The kids feel guilty. And sorry is an uncomfortable word. And you say, Dad, I'm sorry I broke, the, I broke that bowl. Mom, I'm sorry I busted your favorite bowl. It's hard. We don't like to feel sorry. We don't like to say those words. I'm sorry. It's hard. Please forgive me. Those are hard words to say, aren't they? We tried to teach our kids from the time they were little. When you do something again to your sister or to your, mother, to your mom or dad, you need to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And those were the hardest four words for them to learn. I'm not sure I've learned it yet. But see, God has another word for that when we mess up. It's called sin. We try to fix it ourselves. Sin is a sense of missing the mark. God's got a perfect target for us. It's a sense of us missing the mark of failing to be who God created us to be. See, our first calling is to be God's image bearers who reflect God's wisdom and love and rule in the world. In Genesis, he said, let us make man in our image, right? And the very first thing we did was fail. Yep, that image is broken, just like that bowl. Sin is rebellion, turning away from God, trying to become independent of him, to do our own thing our own way. Sin is a transgression or crossing the lines, a violation of another person. God set up a perfect standard for us to follow, and yet we choose to be independent. We choose to do our own thing, our own way. We choose to violate, to willfully violate his law and his commands. And ultimately, sin is a power that paralyzes us with shame because we know we've messed up. We all know we've messed up. I know I'm the biggest sinner in the world, in the room, and when I come to God, I'm like, uh, God, it's me again. Yeah, I messed up again. You know, I, I don't like to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Those are words I don't like to say. I, I would like it if God just said, okay, just go on, keep living your life. Don't worry about it. I got you covered. And you're just like our kids, he wants us to come to him and say, God, I acknowledge what I did was wrong. I acknowledge the sin. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And God says, no problem. I've already dealt with it. Why is it so hard for us to go to God and ask forgiveness? We know he's already dealt with our sins. He dealt with it on Good Friday. He dealt with, us. He dealt with it uh, when he died on the cross for us. And yet it's still so difficult for us. God said, I love you so much. I've already forgiven your sins. Just acknowledge what you did. There's a story in the Bible soon after the resurrection we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. John chapter 21. In this story, we're going to look at a man, one of Jesus' 12. And this man was a follower of Jesus from the very beginning. He was a fisherman. 
And through the course of his life, he, he was, became a leader of the 12, the inner circle. He became the one who was proclaiming who Jesus was when Jesus said, who do the people say I am? Who do you say I am? He was the one who stood up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And yet just a few days after that, after Jesus was arrested, he was the one who quietly followed Jesus, followed the guards to the synagogue and to the place of the Sanhedrin where Jesus was going to be tried by the Jews. He stood there around the fireplace and others were there. They said, weren't you with that Jesus? Weren't you? No, I wasn't me. No, come on. You were one of his followers. You were there. No, 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 you're mistaking me. That was somebody else. That's my twin. Looks just like me, right? No, really, I saw you. You were following him. You were there with him every day. You were, at his, you were there when Lazarus was, was resurrected. You were there at some of the healings. Blankety, blank, blank, blank. That was not me. I did not know him. Three times. After this declaration of who Jesus is, three times he says, I don't know the man. What must he have been feeling? What must Peter have been going through as he rejected God, rejected Jesus, who he was? He didn't just try to slough off the answer. He flat out denied that he even knew who Jesus was. Jesus raises from the dead. He goes to the tomb and John talks about the one that the disciple, the one that the disciple that got Jesus loved beat him, beat Peter to the tomb, right? And they get into the tomb and we don't really hear what Peter's thoughts are. We hear John records his thoughts. They go back to the upper room and John is talking about this experience in the upper room where Jesus appears. He says, look at my hands and my feet and the hole in my side and come and touch me. He doesn't really record where Peter is. I'm sure he's in the room, but what must Peter have been feeling? Knowing that just three days earlier, a few days earlier, he'd been the one that says, I don't even know the man. I picture him kind of maybe standing in the back of the room, head down, maybe playing with his fingers, looking at pictures on the walls waiting for Jesus to say something, to catch his eye. Man, what must have been going through his mind? The very next chapter, chapter 21 of John, verse 3. It's kind of telling. It says, Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. And they set out in a boat, and throughout the night they caught nothing. It's like Peter says, well, that's it. Jesus came. Jesus left. I guess I'll just go back to what I know. Hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to go fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. And you go out there. They're fishing all night long, all night long, and they catch nothing. Peter can't even do what he's good at. He can't even go back to the job he was doing before and be successful at that. He was a failure before. He was a failure with Jesus. He was a failure now fishing again. He is a failure. 
what must have been going through his mind. I can't do anything right. Kicking himself. How is he going to recover from this? He's supposed to be the leader of the disciples, right? He's supposed to be the, the one that he was part of Jesus, of Jesus' inner core circle of three out of the 12. He was part of the three that Jesus took with him to the Garden of Gethsemane and said, just stay here and pray with me a little bit longer. And yet he fell asleep along with the other two. He was supposed to be the leader of the group. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. But I don't even know him. He's the one who walked on water, right? Jesus came out to them and he said, Jesus, that's you. Come tell me to come too." Jesus says, come on. And he jumps out of the boat and he's trudging away on water until he starts to sink. He was the one who confessed Jesus was his Messiah. He was the one who denied him three times. How could he regain any of his credibility? He's just done. See, this is what shame does to us. When we let our sin and this shame in our life control us, shame isolates us. It tells us that the only ones, it says that our sin is uniquely disqualifying and that no one else has ever done anything quite like it. Is that you? You ever feel that way? We look at our lives and go, I can't let Rich know what's going on in my life because he wouldn't even be able to understand I can't let Alexa know what I'm struggling with because, man, what would she think of me? I'm the pastor. What would she think if she knew what I struggle with? I can't let my wife and my kids know. I'm just going to keep it all to myself because nobody else is experiencing what I'm experiencing right now. It's unique to me. You ever feel that way? And we hold it in, we bottle it in, we keep it in, and that shame just grows, that shame grows, that shame grows and become, until it becomes this monster. And we say, game over. I can't do anything else. It's done. Sin is the end. What am I supposed to do? Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is death. And that's all I'm good for. Just might as well die. Shame tells us the story as it stands right now without Jesus. He says, you are who you are, and that's all you are without Jesus. You've lived your life, you've done wrong things, and that's all you have. Just you and your shame, you and your shame, you and your shame. But Jesus came to redeem us, to free us from that sin, to forgive us, to let us find, see that there is a better way. The story doesn't end there. Even though Peter went back, Jesus injects himself in the middle of Peter's fishing trip, right? Look at verse 4. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He calls to them, children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, no. He said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Am I seeing a parallel here with an earlier story? Cast your net on the other side, you'll find some. So they did. And there were so many fish, they couldn't haul in the net. Then a disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Just who Peter wanted to see, right? It's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he wrapped his coat about him for he was naked and he jumped in the water and he swam to shore. 
the Lord. It's the Lord. The one whom he loved, the one he wanted to see, the one who he'd been bottling up his anxiety, been bottling up, bottling up his fear. He'd been bottling up all of his emotions. So when John told him, Peter, it's the Lord. Peter did what any of us would, should try, probably do. You put your clothes on and you dive in the water and you get to, that, get to Jesus as quick as you can because you want to meet him and you want to see him. In spite of the shame, when you meet him face to face again, we find that that shame is going to be gone. See, Jesus did this. He met Peter where he is at. He met him at his old job. Jesus said, I don't care what you've done. I'm going to meet you right where you're at, and I'm going to bring healing to your life. He reenacts that scene of Peter's first calling. Remember way back when, three and a half years earlier, Peter's out there. He's been fishing all night long. He comes in, and Jesus is on the shore and says, what you caught? Nothing. Nothing. Well, throw your net on the other side. Who does this rabbi think he is? We're the professionals, right? I'm the professional fisherman. What does he know? But okay, whatever. I'll just follow. I'll throw the net on the other side because you asked me to. Throws it over there. Starts pulling in the fish. The net's breaking. Like, what is up with this dude? Who is this guy? This time, they start hauling in the net. What happens? The net doesn't break. The net does not break. See, once you've spent time with Jesus, you find that all that, all that burden on your life, he brings total healing, makes you whole again. What's different between these two stories? One was before the resurrection, one was after. One was before when they were first meeting Jesus face to face, and they still had their sins in their life. They were still stuck where they were, living their life every single day, trying to do their 168 hours a week, just trying to make ends meet. If I can get one more fish, I can pay my tax this month. Jesus comes along. They pull in the net. It starts breaking. This time they come along. Jesus says, throw your net over again. They pull it in. It's whole. It doesn't break. They're pulling in those fish. They get to shore. He's already got the fire waiting for him. He's already a fish on the fireplace waiting for them. Do you think it's any accident that Jesus met them around a fireplace? Where was it that Peter denied Jesus? Around the fire. So not only is he reenacting this scene with Peter in the boat, pulling the fish in, he now gives him a chance around the fireplace where he just denied him a short few days earlier. He says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, Jesus, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, God, I love you. And the third time, Peter, do you love me? God, you know I love you. You denied me three times around this fireplace. You've done the opposite now. You've now accepted me. See, the shame that Peter had in his heart, the shame that must have been there building up all this time, when he finally confronts himself, when he's finally confronted by Jesus, the shame just washes away because he realizes God, Jesus loves him. He realizes that God loves him. God, Jesus knew exactly what he'd done. And yet this whole point of this whole story of Jesus is to get the sins washed away. Jesus came and died for us so our sins might be taken away. So the shame we bear, we carry in our lives our whole life. Jesus says, I take it away as well. 
See, because the resurrection changed everything. The resurrection changed everything. He could have died, and that had been fine. That had been just another sacrifice. But because he rose again three days later, it showed that our sins are forgiven. It shows that that shame that Satan wants, to hold, wants us to hold on to no longer has a hold on us. We just need to turn it over to him. And Peter appears on the shore. He swims in there. So I got to meet this man face to face. I got to go and confront what I've done. And he goes and he approaches Jesus and Jesus meets him at the fire. <laughs> I love it. He meets him at the fire. And he says, you're forgiven. The shame is gone. I forgive you and I love you. So we hold on to our shame. We hold on to our pain. We hold on to all those things in our lives that just keep us from Jesus. The first time that Jesus called Peter, it was about a purpose. Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Peter had no idea what that really meant. This time he says, um, it's about the person. He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I'm concerned and I care about you. Once you love me, you can fulfill the mission that I've given to you. See, when we retreat in shame like Peter did, Jesus comes after us over and over and over and over again. What does the Bible say? Jesus leaves a 99 to go after the one. He leaves a 99 to go after the one and, and that one again and that one again and that one again. Over and over and over again, God is reaching out. God is searching. God is calling us into his presence. He desires you. He desires me. He desires to have a relationship with us that is only possible because of the resurrection. For thousands of years before that, the Jews have been trying to live the right way. They've been trying to follow 600 and some odd laws that, that were given to Moses and all the interpretations there that had come out through that. They've been trying to follow this, follow this, follow this, and trying to live, live their lives in their own power to justify themselves to God. When God. The whole purpose of the law was God wanted them to see that you can't do it. You can't live life in your own power. You can't come to me on your own strength. You have to come to me on my terms because I'm God. You have to come to me on my terms, by faith. Not by works of the law, by faith. See, God will never stop chasing us. Never stop chasing us. He is always reaching out. He has always got his hand out. He's always finding us at our lowest point. He's always there, always there, always there, calling us to himself. He loves you. Today, in a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity for those who have never personally received Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to give us an opportunity this morning to do that. As we know that our sins are what keep us from God. He set a mark. He set this target for us to hit, and we miss it every single time. His mark, his target is perfection. Perfection. All 600 and some odd laws that were in the Old Testament, he says, if you want to come to my heaven on your own terms, that's what you got to do. And guess what? 
You can't do it. So you come to me through my son. You come to me through my son, through what he's going to do for you. He's going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. He doesn't deserve to die. You do. But he's going to die for you because I love you. See, what Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for us as well. What Jesus did for Peter in freeing him from his sin, from the guilt, from the shame of his sin, he wants to do for us as well. Do I still sin today? Of course. Ask my wife and kids. Oh yeah, this morning, you should have seen dad. Sunday mornings are always the worst times before you get to church, right? Why is that? I sin every day. But yet, the shame that's there, that should be there, if I was trying to do it in my own power, it's not. Jesus breathes new life into us with his Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, he breathes his Holy Spirit into us so that we can become new creations. Our sins are forgiven, they are taken away, we are restored, we are redeemed. The power of sin that kept us bound has now been broken, and the free is for, to be forgiven is to be free. Picture someone in chains, someone in bondage, someone wearing the, yeah, the orange jumpsuit. They're shackled at the ankles, they're shackled at the wrists, get the little belt around. They can't go anywhere. They are led to and fro. They are in prison. They think they're free. They think they're free to make their own choices, but reality is that they are shackled to their sin. Jesus came to unlock those shackles. Jesus came to take off that orange jumpsuit and to give us new clothes. Jesus came to breathe new life into each and every one of us. Your life can change today because of the resurrection. Because the resurrection changed everything. Scriptures tell us this, that God's, in Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, what that means is while we are still in our sins, while we didn't have a choice in the matter, while we were just living our life according to our own will, our own desires, God looked down through history and saw you. And he says, I'm going to die for that person right there. I'm going to die for Rich. I'm going to die for Dustin. I'm going to die for Mike. I'm going to die for Alexa. I'm going to die for Drew. I'm going to die for you because I love you. When you were still stuck in your sins, God died for you. He did for you what we couldn't do for ourselves. As much as we tried, as much as we try to live a good, holy life and to be good, moral people, God says, you still missed the mark. I'm sorry. But let me hit the mark for you. When we were in, while we were enemies of God, while we were stuck in our sin, while we were caught in the trap, Jesus came and died for us. Before we even knew how to call his name, God came running after us. God came running after you, just like he came after Peter. He could have left Peter on the boat, let him wallow in his shame and his pity. And Jesus appeared right where Peter was. 
to let him know, I forgive you. It's very easy to have your sins forgiven. There's a prayer I'm going to put on the screen behind me, just a sample prayer. It says, Dear Jesus, I need your help. I'm stuck. I've hit a dead end, and I don't want to admit it. But it's true. I've, I've crossed the line I shouldn't have crossed. I've fallen short of what you have made me to be. I failed in my love for you and in my love for others. But still, you came for me. You died for me. You were raised up for me. And you call me. So today I'm saying, yes, I want to give you my life. I want to love you fully and to follow you closely. I know I can't do it on my own. I need your resurrection life just as you breathe on your disciples and with the Holy Spirit, breathe on me. I receive your Holy Spirit. I welcome your saving life, your saving rule in my life. I receive your forgiveness and your freedom. Thank you for this peace. I am yours. Amen. There's nothing there about trying to be good enough. There's nothing there about saying, I have to say this penance, I have to do say this prayer, I have to give this much, I have to, I have to, I have to, because see, it's not up to you. All God asks is that you submit and say, I welcome your saving rule into my life. That's it. How hard is that? To have all that shame, all that sin gone. And yet we fight, we fight, we fight. Have you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. As we close out here in a second, I'm going to pray this prayer again now that you've seen it on the screen. I'm going to pray this prayer again. And if you would like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray it with me. If you want to pray it out loud, you pray it out loud. If you want to pray it in, in your heart of hearts, you pray it in your heart of hearts. But today is the day that you can come to Jesus and say, God, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of having this shame and the sin of my life. And I need you to take it away. And so this morning, I want you to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I need your help. I'm stuck. I've hit a dead end. I don't want to admit it, but it's true. I've crossed a line that I shouldn't have crossed. I've fallen short of what I know you made me to be. I've failed in my love for you and in my love for others. But still, you came for me. You died for me. You were raised up for me. And you call me. So today, Jesus, I'm saying yes. I want to give you my life. I want to love you fully and follow you closely. I know I can't do it on my own. I need your resurrection life. And just as you breathe on your disciples with the Holy Spirit, breathe on me. I receive your Holy Spirit. I welcome your saving rule in my life. I receive your forgiveness and your freedom. Thank you for this peace.
I am yours. Amen.